word of God for our consideration this morning comes to us from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. The queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's fame, which was connected with the fame of the Lord, so she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great entourage, with camels carrying spices and a large quantity of gold and precious stones. She came to Solomon and told him everything that was on her heart. Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. The queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon, the house which he built and the food on his table. When she saw the council meeting of his officials, the careful attention of his ministers, as well as their attire, his cupbearers, and the whole burnt offerings which he offered at the house of the Lord, it took her breath away. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your accomplishments and your wisdom is true. I did not believe the report until I came and saw it with my own eyes. The truth is, not even half of it was told to me. Your wisdom and wealth surpass the report which I heard. Blessed are your men, blessed are your servants who stand before you continually hearing your wisdom. May the Lord your God be, prayed, be blessed, who is pleased to put you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loves Israel forever, he made you king to administer justice and righteousness. This is the word of the Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Your fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who appears to us today as the Savior of all people. We've all heard or maybe used the phrase, you don't know the half of it usually use that phrase to describe either something that was very good or, or something that was very bad. I suppose if somebody was using that to describe this holiday season, they might use it to describe how awful trying to fly around the country was with all the canceled flights and the, the weather delays. Or they might use it to describe how awesome their Christmas was because they finally got to see some family members, some relatives that they hadn't seen in a long time. Or they may say, you don't even know the half of it. You don't know the half of how badly COVID screwed up all of our plans for Christmas. You use that phrase when, when you're trying to tell someone that, that you really had to be there. You, you had to be there to understand what it was really like. Today is a festival of Epiphany, and Epiphany has a dual focus. Not only is the, the first focus to reveal Jesus as the Savior of all people, both Jews and Gentiles, but also Jesus came to reveal God the Father to us. We could never see, we could never learn about God the Father apart from Jesus. And so I think Paul summarizes the, the essence of Epiphany about as well as anyone. He writes this in 1 Corinthians what no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no human mind has conceived, that is what God has prepared for those who love him. It's a reminder that no matter how many times we've heard the gospel, no matter how many Christmases we've had, no matter how many times we've heard Luke 2, we haven't heard even the half of it. We don't know the half of what God has given to us by giving us his son, Jesus Christ. There's a lot of mystery surrounding this Queen of Sheba that we meet in today's sermon text. Scholars don't agree on a whole lot about her. There are some who believe that she was actually the famous female pharaoh of Egypt, known better as Hatshepsut, 
something like that. You can look it up. Uh, there are others who think that she was from farther south, that Sheba was a region farther south in what could probably be uh, modern-day Ethiopia. And there are still others who think that she was from the tip of the Arabian Peninsula, where modern-day Yemen is. No matter where she was from, no matter where the kingdom of Sheba actually was, this was a, a trip of considerable distance. If she was, as most scholars believe, from the, the tip of the Arabian Peninsula in the country of Yemen today, that would have been a trip of no less than 1,200 miles one way. Uh, traveling with a, an entourage of camels and spices and gold and silver, that would have taken her at least four months if they made 10 miles a day, probably closer to five. It would have taken her and, and her entourage away from the throne, away from her kingdom for for months, for 10 months, if not more than a year. A lot of effort and a lot of time went into her traveling to see King Solomon. And our text makes it clear it was all worth it. All the time and all the effort was worth it. Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. The queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon, the house which he built, and the food on his table. When she saw the council meeting of his officials, the careful attention of his ministers, as well as their attire, his cupbearers, and the whole burnt offerings which he offered at the house of the Lord, it took her breath away. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your accomplishments and your wisdom is true. I did not believe the report until I came and saw it with my own eyes. The truth is, not even half of it was told to me. Your wisdom and wealth surpassed the report which I heard. Just a couple of verses later in the same chapter in 1 Kings, we're told that, that after she had learned all she wanted to learn and after she had offered rich offerings totaling what would be today millions of dollars to Solomon and to his kingdom, she, the Queen of Sheba, and her servants went home. And that's the last we hear of this mysterious Queen of Sheba until roughly a thousand years later. When Jesus uses her as an example to condemn the unbelieving Pharisees, this is what he says in Matthew 12, the queen of the south will be raised up in the judgment with this generation and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, but one even greater than Solomon is here. Now it might sound that like Jesus is bragging there, saying yeah, Solomon, he was great, but, but I'm even better. It may sound like he was a bit insecure, that he needed the, the praises and the acclaim of all the people, or else he, he would uh, become a little sad about himself, a little depressed. But he's not doing that. What he's doing is dealing with the very real fact that the chosen people of Israel, the, the people God had chosen and from whom the Messiah had come, for whom the Messiah had come, were rejecting the Messiah. He uses the example of the Queen of Sheba to say, look, the Queen of Sheba traveled maybe 2,400 miles round trip. No easy feat in those days just to hear Solomon's wisdom. And now I'm here. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Savior of the world. I'm standing right in front of you. And you reject me? You hate me? In the verses previous to what Jesus said there in Matthew 12, they had accused him of working with the devil. They demanded that he show them a sign to prove that he was who he claimed to be. 
The chosen people of God had rejected their cho- His chosen Messiah. Now, all of you had to travel to get here this morning. You had to wake up. You had to get out of your nice warm bed. You had to take a shower and get dressed and come out into the blustery January air that that met you this morning. Some of you had to get kids ready. It's not easy to get up on a Sunday morning. I know that. And I commend your dedication and your commitment. It's not easy to take one of the few days a week you have off to come here to God's house. I commend you for taking the time to immerse yourself in the Word of God, the life-saving gospel. At the same time, it wasn't really all that convenient, was it? None of us had to travel 1,200 miles to get here. None of us had to take weeks or months off of work to be here this morning. It was actually pretty convenient to be here, to drive in your nice warm vehicles. It wasn't all that hard for you to be here. But what about when it is? What about when being here for worship is inconvenient? When there's just a little too much snow on the ground, when it's just a little bit too cold, when you stayed up just a little bit too late on Saturday night? What about when your your non-Wells family members are in town and you feel embarrassed to bring them to a church where they can't receive communion? What about when the kids have sports or some other activity on a Sunday morning? What about when your boss wants you to come in and work some extra overtime and that extra money could really help you pay your bills? What happens when something interferes with this time on Sunday morning each week that you get to spend in God's Word? What happens when coming to hear Jesus' wisdom is inconvenient? We all know the third commandment. We all know that God did not say, remember the Sabbath day when it's convenient for you, when, when it fits into your schedule, when it's not too cold and not too hot, when it's just perfect outside, when you don't have to clear your schedule of anything, that's, that's when you can take the time to worship Jesus. That's not what the third commandment says. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Do not despise preaching and His Word, but gladly hear and learn it. We're pretty good at coming up with excuses to justify our absence from God's house, aren't we? You know what? I've heard it all before. I'm not going to hear anything new this morning. It'll just be more about my sin and more about Jesus saving me from my sin. Or we could say to ourselves, you know what? I can, we have this miracle of a camera and we can post it online. You know what? I'll just catch the service later on in the week on my computer as if we ever really focus as much when we're watching a worship service on TV as we do when we're here in person. Because doesn't God want me to provide for my family? Don't I have to put bread on the table? I need to work now. But God promises to provide. He says, seek Him and His righteousness first, and all of these other things will be given to you as well. Well, my kids need to be in the sports. If they're ever going to get on that select team, that elite team, if they're ever going to be accepted as scholarship athletes at a a major college, they have to be playing the sports. But what's really more important, that they get into an elite college or that they are accepted into heaven for all eternity? 
We can come up with all these excuses to justify our absence from God's house, but the reality is we know we're breaking the third commandment. When we find it inconvenient to worship, and that's the only reason that we don't come to hear Jesus' wisdom, we're sinning. And the devil, the devil loves to turn worship into something like, like going to a movie or going to a, a football game, something that's kind of optional. You, know, you don't really have to do it. When the reality is, this is a necessity. He likes to turn it into kind of a, a leisure activity, a, a choice that we are free to make, that, that we can wake up on a Sunday morning and say, do I want to go to church? Don't I want to go to church? Weigh the pros and the cons. When reality, God has commanded us to be here in His house. It's not optional. This isn't, and it shouldn't be viewed by us as a choice that we can make or not make. This isn't like deciding which movie we're going to go see or whether we should eat in or go out for supper, but it's like you have a broken leg and you need to go to the hospital. You need to go to the emergency room because you might die from that. We are dying. We're dying of sin. And this is a spiritual hospital where Dr. Jesus comes to heal us. It's not really the worst part, though, of breaking the third commandment, of finding excuses or finding it inconvenient to be at God's house when his worship is offered. The worst part is that we're robbing ourselves of such great blessings. We're robbing ourselves of hearing the other half of the story, Jesus' half of the story, because we all know our own half of the story. You know what your lives are really like out there. Your thoughts and your words and your actions. You know how filled with sin your lives are. That there are idols of all shapes and sizes in your hearts. That you disrespect God's authorities, His representatives. That there is hatred and there are grudges still in your heart, even though you know God forbids them. That there is lust that lives there. Covetousness for what belongs to others. That you have slandered others' good reputations. That's our half of the story, and it's ugly, and it only leads to death and hell. That's why we need to be here. We don't need to be here to only to hear about how ugly our half of the story is. We know how ugly it is. It keeps us up at night. We need to hear about Jesus' half of the story. About His perfect life, and His atoning death, and His glorious resurrection And how all of that, what he did, guarantees that our sins are forgiven and that we have peace with God and that we have the hope of eternal life. Where else can you get that? You cannot get that going on a hike in the woods. You cannot get that ice fishing. You cannot get that shopping at the mall or sleeping in in your warm bed. This is the only place you can get that. Why would we let anything get in the way of receiving, seeing and receiving those rich blessings that the Lord wants us to have. We can't say with any certainty whether the Queen of Sheba was actually converted to the true faith and the one true God as she left. It's up in the air. You could go either way. She, she, she praises the, the God of Solomon, the Lord that Solomon worshipped, but she keeps saying, it's your, it's your God, it's your Lord. So we can't say for sure, but one thing we can say for sure is that she didn't regret taking the time, making the effort to go and visit Solomon. She gushed over it. Hear it again. 
Blessed are your men. Blessed are your servants who stand before you continually hearing your wisdom. May the Lord your God be blessed, who is pleased to put you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loves Israel forever, He made you king to administer justice and righteousness. Is that how you describe what you experience here in worship on a week-to-week basis? Do you gush over the, the forgiveness and the peace and the joy and the hope that you receive here from your Lord in His Word? If not, why not? I mean, let's just for a moment compare what the Queen of Sheba received from Solomon with what we are privileged to receive right from Jesus here each and every week. Sure, the Lord had blessed Solomon with more fame and wisdom and wealth than anyone else in human history. The Lord says that. I'm going to make you wiser and wealthier and more famous than anyone who will ever live, anyone who ever came before you and anyone who will ever come after you. But in Jesus, we have the wisdom of God. We have the power of God in human flesh. Yes, Solomon was a wise man in many different areas of life. He wrote Proverbs and he he spoke wisely, enlightening people about a range of different topics, from government to the economy, from from nature here on earth to the the stars in the heavens, from, from how to have a healthy marriage to how to raise healthy and obedient children. Solomon's wisdom covered the range of the entire human experience. If you want a a taste of it, just read the books of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. But only Jesus can make us wise for salvation. And that's what's most important, isn't it? Because this life will come to an end. As, As wise as we may be in handling life in this world, what's really important is that we know how to get to the next. Yes, Solomon's buildings, his palace, the temple that he built for the Lord were architectural wonders. His treasuries were overflowing with gold and silver. But only Jesus can offer you the hope of life with him in paradise, where the the streets are paved in gold, and the Lord is preparing mansions for each of us. And that's just a taste of the other half of the story, of the things that that the Lord wants to give you here on a weekly basis. Why would we let any, any inconvenience get in the way of receiving those blessings? That's not really the most exciting or unexpected or unanticipated part of Epiphany, though. There's something that blows all of that out of the water. See, Epiphany is about Jesus appearing as the Savior of the world. But in order to do that, in order for Jesus to become our Savior, He had to greatly inconvenience Himself. Jesus was in heaven. He was the Son of God, enjoying paradise, enjoying the glory of heaven at His Father's right hand. He had everything. He didn't need anything. He didn't need anything from us or from this earth. He could have happily lived there for all eternity. But when he looked down, he saw humanity spiraling down the drain of sin towards hell. And in his love and his mercy, he decided to do something about it. He planned to come to this earth. And when the right time had fully come, he was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem sinners like us who were also under the law. And it wasn't glamorous. It wasn't luxurious. 
He didn't have an entourage when he came to this earth. He didn't pack anything. And his life was not lived in the lap of luxury. He was born in a stable. He was chased out of Israel by Herod, who wanted him dead. His whole life he was mocked as being the illegitimate child of a carpenter. He was hated, as the Pharisees' example gave before. He was hated and mocked and ridiculed. They tried to assassinate him, throwing him off of cliffs and stoning him to death. And if that weren't bad enough, at the end of his life he was betrayed and illegally, unjustly arrested. He was brutally tortured and then nailed to a tree. How convenient does all that sound? But he willingly inconvenienced himself to save us. To save us from our sins, to save us from a certain eternity in hell, Jesus inconvenienced himself to the point of death. That's the real good news of this epiphany season. And now what he wants to do is tell you about it. He wants to tell you his half of the story. He wants to remind you of all that he went through to save your soul. He wants to assure you that it's real, that it's really for you, and He wants to tell you what impact that good news will have on your life here and now and also on your life in the hereafter. And He doesn't make it difficult at all. He he wants to come to you. He makes Himself available to you 24-7 anywhere on planet Earth in the Bible or even on that cell phone that you carry around everywhere. It's available for free wherever you are, whatever you're doing. The Lord Christ has ensured that that He is available to you in word and sacrament, in Bible study and Sunday school, right here in your own hometown. You don't have to travel 1,200 miles. You don't have to leave for months or weeks at a time. Right here in your own hometown. Taking you less, most of us, less time to come here than it would take us to go to Costco, Jesus promises, I'm going to be here for you each and every week to assure you that your sins are forgiven to remind you that you are at peace with God, to assure you that you have an eternal home in heaven. With blessings like that waiting for us here every week, why would we let anything get in the way? Why would we let anything stop us? Let's follow the example of the Queen of Sheba and those wise men and not let anything get get in the way of us seeing and receiving the Lord's wonderful blessings. When people say to me, you don't know the half of it, I kind of generally assume that they're exaggerating their story a little bit. If I can't know the half of it, why don't you just tell me? Or it's not as bad or as good as you thought it was. Well, the Queen of Sheba found out that there was no exaggerating when it came to the wisdom of Solomon. It took her breath away. She said, I didn't even know the half of it until I came and I saw it with my own eyes. But what Solomon had to offer the Queen of Sheba pales in comparison to what Jesus wants to offer to us right here, week after week after week. So I don't know if you've made any resolutions for this new year, if you've broken them all already. I think the statistics say that most of them are broken by January 8th. But but may it be our resolution this year that, that we won't let any inconvenience get in the way of us seeing and receiving the blessings the Lord wants to give us. Amen.